A. Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Podcast. And today, I am really excited about the topic. And I'm also a little burned by the topic. Because for those of you that don't know, I'm building a house and I got a wonderful call from a contractor uh, about a month and a half ago saying, hey, congratulations, your lumber went up $50,000. So I'm not upset at all. I'm not sore at all. Uh, But I definitely want to talk (laughs) about what that means for investing single family homes, the overall market, what's causing it where we're at, and why. Today, I have with me again, Connor, as my trusted co-host. What's up? And we have a very, very special guest. He flew all the way over from four offices down. Not office building, just right right next to her. We got Brian from the (laughs) office who are our head of acquisitions. And um, Brian has an interesting background, and that was in the world of lumber. So right. Brian's also a investor and he runs all the sourcing of our deals, finding our locations um, and finding our new investment projects. So for any of you that have invested in um, our last couple deals, uh, that was courtesy of Brian. So with that, how's it going, guys? I'm glad we get to have, have a discussion all together here Heck uh, yeah. on the mic. Yeah, excited to be on. Excited to talk about two of my favorite subjects. <laughs> Lumber and self-storage, they, the two worlds unite. There we go. Right. Heck yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. And you know, it's funny too, because um, I, maybe I'm just a total nerd, but this stuff really, really interests me. You know, obviously economics, pricing and everything, but it, it's important to know and understand what's going on. And I think it's shocking, something that is so important and affecting everyone. And there's just not a lot of information. I think the vast majority of people, like even me, like, well, where does our lumber come from in what region? Like, what is that? But before we get into any of that, um, Brian, give them, talk to talk to us a little bit about your background and all that good stuff. Yeah. So before I was uh, in self-storage here, a self-storage nerd, I was a lumber nerd um, right out of college uh, about five years, six years ago now, got into the lumber industry right out of college, as green as could be. Really didn't know the difference between a two by four and a two by six, and just started from the bottom and uh, ended up moving through Colorado. Was in lumber purchasing out in Colorado for a large multi billion dollar lumber group, um, and then ended up here in Boise and have been in Boise for the past five years and was doing lumber sales, selling lumber, plywood, building materials into different markets, industrial markets, retail markets, which would be like a uh, hardware store, uh, Lowe's, Home Depot, and then into construction markets, um, selling contractors and multifamily builders. Um, So kind of covered a lot of different things in my lumber career, and then recently made this transition over to storage. So it's kind of interesting. um, Looking at the past year, lumber um, has just been in the news everywhere. Like everyone's talking about it. It's a buzzword. And it's funny because when I was in the lumber industry and I would tell people, oh, yeah, I'm in lumber sales and 
in the lumber market, they would, would quickly move on to a different subject. But uh, <laughs> like, okay, now, now they're calling me up and saying, hey, what's going on? How come I'm building my house? What the heck's going on? Yes. So it's kind of funny how that happened. Now, you uh, went out and you've seen the big mills and the big plants. And, um, you know, growing up in the Northwest, um, in Idaho here, I worked with a lot of clients, including lots of lumber mills that I'd actually go and see all of their, um, the big plants and everything, but it's not what it used to be here. And I think that's really important to understand the context. A lot of places, even particularly in Idaho, where we have a lot of forest lands, those lumber mills back in the day were ginormous. Yeah. And they, we still have large ones, particularly mm-hmm. up north and everything, but it's not like it used to be. Yeah. So maybe give a background on the industry and where it's come from and where we're at today. Yeah. So definitely, like like a lot, we see in a lot of different industries, lumber and lumber mills have consolidated greatly. So whereas 50 years ago, you drive around the Pacific Northwest and every little town was a mill town and that lumber mill supported the whole town. Now you drive out there and those mills are just completely shut down. They're ghost towns. Nobody lives there. And really kind of accelerated over the past probably 10, 20 years where there's just been a mass consolidation of these large, large mills, mainly Canadian mills, um, that have been either buying up those smaller mills or just because of their size and because of their investments in these behemoth mills. I mean, there's some monster mills, especially up in Canada, that just doesn't even make sense for those smaller mills to operate anymore. So that's really been a big change in the industry is seeing the consolidation of a few players really controlling most of the market. And are these big publicly traded companies? Or are these family owned? Like they're these are mega businesses. Right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the big ones, especially out of Canada, um, Interfor, Canfor, uh, just to name a few. They're they're huge publicly traded companies that um, are, are just monsters now, and they're buying up and building new mills and investing a lot into technology and. Um, kind of just capitalizing on economies of scale, building up a, a massive mill. Now, in especially the laws surrounding forest land and things like that, uh, is there a big difference between us and Canada? Yes. So Canada is most of their forest lands are controlled by the government. Um, whereas in the United States, a lot of that's private land. Um, so in the South, you'll plant a plant a field of trees and grow a, a acreage of timber and let that grow for 30 years and then sell that off to the mills and that's been a business plan for a lot of people in the in the states so it's much different than what's going on in Canada where most of those lands where they're harvesting the timber is all ran by the government okay that's interesting and you would look and say with over the last you know, long way, you know, the housing prices, when we look at overall housing prices, of course, lumber is taking the absolute stage on that driven cost. Everything. But when you're looking at the supply chain, you go, how could it change so much so quickly? 
And I think that for people is where the lack of understanding really resides. Like, you're like, hold on, did we all of a sudden need 10 times as many houses or is there 10 times less wood? Why did prices go? Like, uh, the best comparison I heard that if the price equivalency increase happened in gas, we would be at $40 a gallon today. It's crazy. So that if is gas insane. rose at the rate lumber rose, we would be at $40 a gallon. To, to put that into perspective, yeah. right? So what the heck happened? Uh, this past year was just a perfect storm of so many things happening in the lumber market to get to where we're at today and see these crazy prices. Nobody in a million years would have thought we'd see lumber trading at this high of prices. I mean, we're up 300, 400% on items that we were just selling um, a year ago, so or pre-COVID, not a year and a half ago. Um, so it was a, it was a crazy time and I was still in the lumber industry when COVID hit and it was leading up to COVID in 2018, 2019, we saw some high prices, some, some record high prices in the, in the lumber market. Um, and then things kind of softened and, and went to a normal level. Actually mills were, were curtailing their, their production. They were reducing um, lines and some were closing mills and this was leading up to COVID. So supply was being reduced going into COVID. And then for anticipate for like anticipating the effects of COVID, was that why? Not anticipate. Nobody saw COVID, COVID coming. So this, that so was this is before it yeah. was known. Yeah. Got it was just it. kind of the supply and demand of the market at the time. Um, yeah. It just certain plants were deciding. Slowing to, down. Yep. Because yep. the mills control they really control the market. So if, yeah. if they wanted to, they could pump a bunch um, in. They kind of play yep. that game. So uh -huh. give and take. And when COVID Same thing with lots of industries. You yeah. control supply. I mean, diamonds is the most notorious. The only reason diamonds cost the rate that they cost because there's a lot of big safes with lots of diamonds. Right, right. <laughs> so so COVID hit and every everybody, every industry, everyone was on their heels. We were locked down, stay at home. Governments were issuing uh, stay-at-home orders. So these mills, they're being forced to limit production by the government just because of people and, and being able to operate with the restrictions in certain areas. And then you're looking at your forecast of, okay, what's the economy going to look like here in a couple months, six months, a year? We're staring at a crazy virus. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So they were anticipating that demand was going to fall off. You know, everyone was kind of thinking we would go into a recession. It was going to be bad. And that did not happen one bit. I mean, maybe for a couple of weeks there, people were on edge and, and stopped, but the market shifted quickly. Um, home construction didn't skip a beat. If anything, it, it started on its upward trend. People were forced to stay at home during that time. So they're sitting at home, nothing to do, nowhere to travel. They're still um, you know, getting paid, getting stimulus from the government. So what are you going to do when you're sitting at home? You have nothing to do. You're going to build that deck or build a shed or remodel your kitchen, do home improvement projects. So that was the opposite of what the, the industry thought was going to happen. And Home Depot, Lowe's at that time, um, when the lockdowns were full effect, they were a, a critical infrastructure business. So they stayed, most of their stores were stayed open. 
And um, I remember going into some of those Home Depots and lines were just out the door, like people were, parking lots were jam-packed. So retail sales and construction really pulled lumber through that time when we were shut down for COVID. And it's really hasn't looked back. They've, they've been continuing to go. We see it in the, in the housing market. It's just been build, build, build. Um, new housing starts have been up. And, well, and then what- we have the pricing where we have, they dropped interest rates so low. It's so right exactly. now our debt to service um, for the average American. So your debt to income service ratio. So how much you have to pay for that debt based upon your income is at the lowest level ever, which means you can afford more. So you can buy more without that increase, incremental increase in change in your uh, monthly cost. Yeah. So that actually drove even more demand. Mm-hmm. So, so that really kept things going through 2020. It was the mills dug themselves a hole because they cut back on supply and demand skyrocketed. So there was a couple months there where the mills were curtailed. They weren't, they were at like 50, 60% of capacity of what they could actually produce out of the mills because they were just so uncertain. There was lockdowns, but demand just kept going and really never skipped a beat. And that's right there. Those first few months of COVID is really what created the hole that we're still in, still trying to climb out of because demand for lumber hasn't softened one bit. And I don't think we'll see a, a major correction in lumber until that demand side comes off, whether that's through rising interest rates or whatever it may be. But I, I don't, th- I don't see the the lumber mills catching up on the supply side until the demand softens. Are they open? So this is something that I've wondered. You know, Canada here in the United States is, is funny. So I had to go to the store, you know, to get uh, medicine right now, and we're in Idaho, so. You know, I'm in there and we're in this major grocery store and there's just people everywhere. It's one o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. It's packed. Not even one person in the entire store is wearing a mask, right? That's a thing of the past here where we live. But then you go to places like Canada and they are still locked the freak down. Like it is like you are in the, you, you are what we were in the most extreme time in Idaho in comparison, right? Now, considering so many of those big mills are located up north, have they act have they are they back to capacity? Do they have labor? Because when you look at the labor shortages that are going on, when you look at all of this, are they able to even produce the same output now that they could have pre-COVID? Yeah, that's a good point because they are fighting an uphill battle with labor shortage everywhere. Every, every town you go into, it's a, it's a problem to get laborers or get employees um, working in the mill. And trucking has been a mess since COVID. Prices have just skyrocketed. Truckers are just demanding super high prices. So there's been a lot of challenges for them to get caught up. And that's why we're seeing it drag out so long. Definitely. What about inner country? Like, how's that supply chain work? Because we had some period of times where it got super sketchy. Remember, right at the first, particularly with China, right? It was like this really weird phase where everybody started shutting down borders Mm -hmm. and it became air travel everything. And we saw this on our, in our product businesses, right? So we were ordering products, 
we should get them here in like a week or maybe two weeks that we ordered eight months ago, however many thousands of units to go to the market, which we've been waiting on for like eight months because COVID just obliterated our ability to get manufacturing output out of China, but then two, to get it to the United States. Yeah. Now, of course, that's China and Canada is our northern state. Please don't get mad at me, anyone from Canada that I just said that, but we love you guys. <laughs> so we feel like you're part of the family. Is that an issue, right? Or is are we still in, is that easy to bring stuff back and forth from Canada? I, I don't know. I haven't heard of any major issues as far as um, shipping lumber from Canada down down to the States. I mean, so that's Canada still is a huge on. supplier of, of yeah. lumber for the United States. Um, so that, I haven't heard of anything, big challenges. Now with the international markets, like you mentioned, China, um, you know, we bring plywood up from South America, China, Indonesia. So all those um, so markets, we, import markets, definitely. You may not affected. know this. I definitely don't, but it's a question. Like what percentage? So it, it's interesting. We said we're in the Northwest sitting here. So Canada is like closer to us than most states. Uh, so we're talking a lot about Canada, principally too, though, because a lot of our wood supply in the Northwest comes out of Canada, mm -hmm. right? Now, I didn't know this because I just thought all our natural resources from wood and things like that come out of the Western United States and the Rocky Mountains. But there's a whole nother part of the United States that actually produces goods. Wow, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, I don't know why I feel so dumb that I didn't know this, but Apparently, they grow a lot of um, pro uh, wood-producing trees down south that they use for lumber. Yep. I didn't realize this, that this was an actual a major region of um, production and mills. Like, I, I just didn't know that. And that's mm -hmm. the south. Yep. So, what percentage of wood, obviously, this could be totally vague, and to give us context and an idea, like, where's the wood come from? What kind of wood is it? How do we use it? Because I'm totally novice at all of this. I don't even know how to swing a hammer. <laughs> yeah. So when we're when we're talking lumber, we're we're mainly talking softwood lumber. That's what's going to be used for home construction. That's your typical two by four. You go to Home Depot and buy a two by four. That's softwood lumber. And so so those trees grow in different regions. If you look at a map of North America, you've got the Pacific Northwest that extends from Northern California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, up into British Columbia. That's a big lumber producing, producing region. And that primarily the species that comes out of there is Doug fir. Um, then in the south, you've got from eastern Texas all the way over to the coast, pretty much. You've got southern yellow pine mills down there, um, which is a, a different species. It's still a softwood lumber species. Um, primarily used for treated lumber, but it grows quicker. It has wider growth rings. So uh, there's a lot of plantation grown southern yellow pine down in that part of the country. And then you look up in northern Canada, eastern Canada, um, kind of stretching across into the Midwest, you've got um, SPF that comes out of there. Um, so there's kind of those three main lumber producing regions. And then as far as what regions using what species? It really just depends on the the transportation. So here in the Northwest, we're right in the breadbasket of fir. So we use a lot of dug fir in our construction. Um, in the South, they'll use Southern yellow pine. They'll 
rail car, a lot of um, SPF out of Canada down south. I would say majority of the country is using SPF um, for just their traditional lumber construction. Now, what are we, what kind of materials, um, wood speaking, are we bringing in from other countries and what do we use for that? Yeah, internationally, there's, I w- well, I would say outside Canada, right? Yeah. They're once again, they're part of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One and the same. Um, as far as like softwood lumber for home construction, so your sticks of lumber, most of that's not being imported. There's some that comes out of Europe um, that they'll use, but for the most part, um, our two by fours and two by sixes and two by eights are coming from North America. We do import a lot of, of panels, plywood, OSB comes from different parts of the or the world. Um, cedar pickets, like your fence pickets, a lot of those are international now. Um, so we import a lot of those from, say, China or those markets over there. So some of the more nuanced uh, lumber and building materials will come come out of there, but still majority of it, um, the bulk of what we're using for construction is coming out of North America. So, it, I mean, and this is, I think, the interesting thing that's hard, and we talk about this in a lot of aspects. We talk whether it's investing, lumber, all the stuff that we're in a perfect storm is the best way, how you said it. It's a perfect storm that it doesn't, when we talk about things that make dramatic changes or we expect things just to go back. When So when, when we're looking to try to project out, oh, well, I'm just going to wait till cost drop, right? Or I'm just going to wait till it, you know, so what are the levers that have to, what has to take place and what does that look like to pull those levers? Like I think on, as far as just supply and demand on the government side, I think the biggest one's interest rates, obviously, right? Interest rates go up a couple points, the housing market is done, yep. right? That takes care of demand real quick. Outside government intervention, though, um, monetary policy, right? What needs to happen to get to more of an equilibrium? And is that something that will happen quickly yep. for everybody? Like, what should they be thinking about or anticipating with this? Yeah, well, we're seeing that play out right now. And it's just kind of what happens um, in a free market. Like, prices find a, a stable point. Um, so we're starting to see some of those drivers take hold. For example, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's, like I mentioned, in 2020, they their record sales, people lining up, um, they literally were just pulling all of their suppliers and stressing them and just more, 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 more product, more lumber, more plywood. The demand was so high. So going into 2021, still facing COVID, they were expecting 2021 to kind of mirror what we're seeing, what they saw in 2020. Now, prices went up 300, 400%. So now what you're seeing is if you're a DIY or if you're a builder and you're building a couple custom homes or whatever, you're used to going to Home Depot or, and picking up a sheet of plywood for 20 bucks. And now you're going back and you're seeing that same sheet of plywood, same grade, same mill, and now it's 80, 90 bucks a sheet. So just the the prices being where they're at is causing a slowdown. And, and Home Depot and Lowe's, they're expecting to be right in line with where they were. I think they're off maybe 25% is what I've heard from their projections yeah. of what they thought 2021 was going to bring. So what it's you, hitting the 
pocket. What do you guys think is like the the percentage of each like how much of of the price influx and increase is the supply demand issue and how much of it is an inflation issue? Or is there any difference at all? Like, what so this is a great that? question actually. So I I had a conversation with somebody and they're like it's not inflation. This isn't inflation. This is a supply chain problem. And I'm like, okay, well, you're saying that the supply chain problem, though, is also not caused by inflation. So, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is, first of all, I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. All in the same. Like, I don't think you say, oh, this has nothing to do with inflation. When you're, well, the monetary policy is one of the main drivers of the rising cost, right? They're driving because demand is, gov- the government is intervened and dramatically mm-hmm. right. reshaped demand in our economy. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how you don't call that partly at least inflation. And that's where I think it's that perfect storm. 50% is this inflationary attribute of what's going on um, monetarily speaking with the demand side. But then you have another problem, which is the supply side. And that 50%, I think, was just absolutely crippled from COVID. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting inflation tied to a whole bunch of other stuff on the demand side. And then on the other side of that, you're getting a crippling effect to the mills from COVID. That's my idea of kind of where we're at. It's not one necessarily or the other. Um, It's perfect example is if the government didn't intervene, we would not have prices like this, right? Nobody was getting checks. People were losing their jobs. Like nobody would be buying lumber and wood. It would be a totally bad situation. Unemployment would be at 15%. We'd probably be in a depression. Yep. So yes, but. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, now 2021, we're seeing businesses start to open back up. People are starting to travel. I mean, airports have been packed. So now people have other things to spend money on. They want to get out. They're less concerned about um, just Going Home Depot. So yep, and so hopefully we'll see an equilibrium. But an equilibrium is very different than a. So the next question I have: There's a difference between finding a price structure in a given market that is um, an even balance of supply and demand versus oh, are we going to return to the old prices, like? Do you think we will see a dramatic shift backwards to the prices as they were? Or are people really liking being able to charge wood at these prices? Because from what I understand, they're making more money than they've ever made. Yeah, I'll tell you who likes it. It's the mills. So, um, you know, some some would say, why don't they, the demand's there. Why don't they just go out and build a new mill and and bring more supply onto the market? Um, But- these record prices, uh, they want to be strategic on that. Um, they want to serve their customers and, and, and go about that correctly. But at the end of the day, they're driven by money. And this past year and a half, they've been doing very well. So um, The law of diminishing return. So if I can increase my output by 20%, but if that stops prices from going up 400%, that makes no sense at all. Yeah. I increase my sales by 20%, but I lose 
you know, how, what, 100 or 150% in the pricing structure, you're losing money. Right. And these days to build a new mill, I mean, you're looking at least two years, 50 to $100 million investment. So it's a big deal. It's, it's because of the consolidation and the size of these mills, it's, it's much more involved to, to invest in a new lumber mill. It's, it's depends on where you're at and where you're pulling logs from. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not as easy no. as with the, the old days when they could just just go start fire, chopping wood. Fire up a plant and, and start yeah. start going. Well, the, the restrictions on these companies, are not saying that even in necessarily a bad way, but like if you're in Idaho and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go harvest 500 acres of wood, good luck. Like that's just not something you walk out and do, right? So this comes down to land ownership, cooperation with the government's permits, you have to get foresters out there to start to do measurements. They have to look at wildlife. You have to look, it's transportation. Can you build roads? I mean, this is not just something you go, oh yeah, we're just going to go get, or we're going to increase our output by 20%. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of both. It's, yeah, they do like the prices, but also it's hard to ramp up a natural resource like that. It's the equivalent of saying, oh, well, why don't you just go get more gold? Like, well, we got to go blow the mountain up to get it. We got to send people in there. You know, we got to, it's, it's not a, a, this is a natural resource. Um, now the real thing then I, I think what we're talking about here that'll affect the prices is the demand side. Supply is not going to magically increase 400%. So it's, we're seeing the, um, which I, my personal belief is as because of prices, we're going to see uh, uh, a slowdown, obviously, on the price increase, and we may start to see prices go back down, yep. right? Um, I don't see a quick jump, though, or anything else. It's not like I, I feel like, oh, well, I'm going to hold off building for six months and I'm going to save a ton of money. Right. That may happen, but I... Not making plans on that, obviously. You don't gamble, AJ. No, it's Come weird. On. But and so it's <laughs> I, I I just there's not I don't see anything like thinking that we can just come off that that quickly. Right. I think uh, on the the demand side, once that softens a little bit, it'll give the mills a chance to kind of catch up, catch up their inventories. All these lumber yards can kind of catch their breath. So I think we'll see a, a soften. We might not go back to where prices were hovering and. 2015, 2016. So we might find a new new normal uh, that's a little bit higher than that. But the prices that are at there, the lumber's been at for the past six months. Six months is just not sustainable. So, no. and we're starting to see that over the past couple of weeks, we've seen prices start to soften. We are coming into uh, forest fire season, so that's a concern, especially how dry it's been out west. I was yeah. just reading this morning, Idaho's. Central mountains are severe drought right now, so they're concerned about an early fire season, which is unique in the lumber industry because I mentioned those different lumber producing regions, and you'd think, oh, there's fire in Idaho, it's not going to affect southern yellow pine or SPF out of Canada. Those prices, those prices for those species should stay stable, but lumber is tied into all aspects of a global market. So if there's fires in one part of the country or one part of the world that are devastating, uh, all, all lumber prices are going to follow that trend, follow those prices up. Because you have to make up for the loss. Right. So, so you got to start shipping different kinds of wood. You got to, it's, 
you're, the only difference of the regions is where how easily it is to supply. But if one lacks, you got to even that out because the demand hasn't changed. Right. So we'll see what happens through the end of the year. Um, I, I am expecting prices to come down a bit, but where we find a, a, a new level, we'll see. Well, I certainly crazy. hope it comes down off 400%. <laughs> I mean, this is, we'll see what happens. and it's creating, especially when you live in areas like ours or Nashville or Austin, Texas, when we also at the exact same time have a, have a housing shortage. So we're in a situation where land has exploded in value. Housing has exploded in value. Now to go replace it, to go build your own, to just even get, you know, houses up. The cost increase is staggering, and that has massive effects on economic growth. If we're looking at can an area sustainably grow at a certain rate, housing is one of the main factors. If you don't have housing, people can't live there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not rocket science, right? So in a in these areas of the country that are growing at rates that are just incredible, historically speaking, um, we have to house these people. We have to affordably house these people. We also see in places like California, when housing gets up to a million dollars on average, homeless prices start to, or or homeless uh, populations start to rise dramatically. Why? Because the average person can't afford a million dollar house. So, you know, it's, it's a really big issue when we look at these price increases on not just that one thing. Right. This is a housing, lifestyle, affordability, population problem. It is a core tenet of society. And when we see increases like this happen, it should not only be staggering, but it should be very troubling for people. Because even if you have your own house, well, that doesn't mean that you're not affected by everything that's happening, right? That doesn't mean that there's no consequences to society. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden, like in areas like ours, locals are now pushed out. They can't even afford to live in these areas. They can't replace the land. They can't replace the home. And now this idea of owning the kind of home that they ever wanted, that's all changed. So now how does the family dynamic structure change? I can't have as many kids as I want. I can't even get out of an apartment. So I can't have three kids. You know, and all those, it's it's a, a thing that if it doesn't get fixed and it goes on too long, the long-term impacts in local economies and societies are dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, it really magnifies those. It's like leverage. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously, you know, this is a problem that we in America still have this idea of owning a home. And that's, you know, to a lot of people, that is the American dream. Which, although people said millennials don't care about that, that ended quickly when millennials all grew up. They are now the largest buyers of homes in the United States. So they spent 10 years saying how owning a home is stupid um, until interest rates got low and they actually wanted to own a home. Now they're all <laughs> buying at the highest time ever, right? Which isn't bad. I don't mean that mm-hmm. in a bad way. It, the denial, though, that life takes place and we all need a place to live and everything else like that, that's irrational to think. And these people do need places to live. They need good, safe communities. And this is one of the biggest driving factors in that. And we need to be very conscientious about that. You need to look at areas where you're investing. You need to look at the demographics of the area and how it's changing due to higher prices. 
What does that mean for the school districts? What does that mean for the area? Now we can't put houses. We have to put more multifamily. Now we have more multifamily. What kind of pressure is that going to put on our road systems, on our utilities, on the stores, right? We're just a perfect example of that. The multifamily um, sector in our area is like they they are building multifamily everywhere and they're not building enough. Why? Because a huge segment of our population can no longer afford homes. And that has accelerated in the past year. Yeah. Well, didn't they say uh, when all our friends were in town last week, was it Ashley or one of those guys, um, they're saying that even the projections for 10 years at the rate they're building still won't be enough? Yeah. Like even yeah. even years. if they kept up building right now for 10 it's straight crazy. years, they cannot fill demand here. Um, and this is, we are an example of other places. I don't care if you look at Denver, Utah, Texas, Tennessee, right? I mean, there's the, like Florida. I mean, there's so many of these areas that are having these same problems, um, which I've, I've said this for a couple of years now and I'll keep saying it and I was just convinced, right? To, after 2008, we had a dramatic change in the United States. And I believe this strongly that the United States will no longer be uniform in its output. So what that means is we are not nearly as connected locally and that the output of economies across the United States are going to be staggering differently. Like it's just, you're going to have cities where housing, we have cities today and states where housing prices basically aren't going anywhere. Then you have other places where they're going up 37% in a year. Um, so the difference right now in the United States is crazy. Um, and it's having very interesting effects on ever all this stuff. When we're looking at migration patterns and investing your equity, what you can charge for that real estate. What can, If I'm buying a single family home today in a certain area at today's prices, what can I charge for that rent? How sustainable is that? Right. And if I build at this and it dramatically changes in a year and I could have built it for $50,000 less or whatever that is, what what is that um, ROI change? What does that look like? Uh, and it, it, I think I, obviously this is the issue starting of 2020 over time. We have labor shortage, lumber pricing, and this goes into personally, whether you're an investor or not, just living. Everyone's being affected by it. It's super interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Everything's tied in and connected in some way or another. And it's, you know, whenever you see, we got to remember back in the eighties when this happened to gas, what happened, right? Like that was bad. That like destroyed our economy Mm -hmm. when we had gas shortages and gassing prices soared. Um, we, that crippled us. And so at some point you're like, Hey, it's slowing down. Right. But you start to get a mix of these high prices combined with interest rates. Can they offset those prices quick enough? Or is there going to be a year period of time where all of a sudden that cripples the housing market? Because they still haven't caught up. But yet now interest rates have made it so it's unaffordable. So now you're buying at the highest prices and your debt in, you know, payments are coming up. Right? Those are the things that you need to be looking out for as an investor. These are the economic dangers that you can get yourself into when understanding that. Um, so, yeah. 
Also, I got a $50,000 increase on my love. Yeah, just which full I'm circle. ticked about it. <laughs> Absolutely ticked about it. Uh, AJ is not okay, guys. Not, not okay. okay. It really put a bummer on my trip when I was out there. What? Be like, hang on, dude. No, no way. It's, but it's totally cool. I'm just moving in with Connor now. So, yeah. yeah. Our kids are just going to move in with uh, with the family and... Well, that'd be good tent cities are like a thing now right it's a, yeah that's the thing in so, california I'm, I'm doing it man i'm moving over <laughs> tent it's <city>. happening <laughs> oh man oh. well cool um is there anything we, we want to talk about cross promote a little bit as far as self-storage income anything going on over yeah, there? yeah we should touch on that we uh have our actually 100th episode that we're yeah. recording tomorrow 100th episode 100th episode look at that it's crazy it's insane yeah no the uh the response of the podcast and the YouTube and everything has just been insane. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of views yeah. and downloads and everything else. Uh, you guys have been awesome. I mean, you go and you yeah. look at all the reviews, all your guys' five-star reviews. If you haven't left one, do so. Yes, uh, On please. this podcast. You can do it now. Out. Yeah, I mean, right now. Right now. Just, we'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait. Um do it, you know, for the AJ Osborne podcast for self storage income. Um, keep up with all the stuff that we got going on, like like Brian's talking about all these things that we're talking about that are so interconnected. There's not a whole lot of self storage income and AJ that's not connected. It's very much connected. Everything else is is uh, very much connected as to to what we're doing, what we have going on. Um, go check out everything in the show notes. Get it, AJ on Instagram. He's like a total influencer now. Total like, influencer. Just, total. It's incredible. I mean, all those Lamborghini photos and things That's like right. that. Exactly. Just, <laughs> like fur coats and stuff. Just getting crazy on there. Uh, I'm kidding. He doesn't have any of that. It's super non-sexy, like actionable information to actually get you somewhere, which is a, a breath of fresh air. Yep. And showing so, the behind the scenes stuff. Like yeah. showing what we're building, what we're doing. Try to give you guys a look at it. In fact, I just posted today. You're, you probably won't even see it on stories, but our new offices. Like mm-hmm. we're expanding. Yeah. We, we're yeah. tearing down walls. Like our, our last podcast, which was the, what was it yesterday? Was the self-storage income podcast we were doing? I think you can hear in the background. Yep. All the guys on the other side Ooh. of the building ripping down stuff <laughs> and, and, and building all this. Right, yeah. hauling sheetrock out. Because, you know, as lumber prices skyrocketed, we said, you know what we should do now? We should expand. We, we should, should actually build, build more. Build more yeah. using, using. Let's <laughs> remodel. Let's remodel. Yeah, it's time. Yeah. It's time. We specifically <laughs> timed it that way. Uh, awesome. All good problems to have though, man. Super exciting stuff going on here. A lot of growth, all those things. So it's, it's great. So yeah. with that said, awesome episode. Brian, thanks a bunch, man, for jumping yeah, in. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. We'll see you guys Appreciate next it. time. Thanks.